This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, good morning, church. Uh, My name's James, and I'm one of the pastors at Anchor City. Shout out to everyone tuning in who's part of our Anchor family, whether you're from City or Southwest. It's great to be with you guys this morning. I'm also part of the Petersham Gospel community. And uh, look, we're missing everyone in this time, seeing you guys in face, being with you in person, um, but sending you lots of prayers and hoping that you're well. Well, this morning, I get the privilege of opening up God's word for us. And I want to share a message with you called, How's Your Praise? How's Your Praise? Now, when I was in my early 20s, I used to lead a beach mission on the south coast of New South Wales. And what we would do is we'd go down the coast for about a week over summer, and we'd build relationships in the community, and we'd run these events uh, to serve people, to love on them, and to try and share the gospel with them. One night, we ran a pop-up church service for the youth in the area, and we had all these youth come, I think about 60 youth from the local area, coastal towns, came in, and uh, we ran a youth service for them. And the gospel was preached, and thanks to God, a whole stack of youth responded to the message that night and decided to put their faith in Jesus. It was an amazing experience. And when the event had finished, well, we packed up and all the team came together into the lobby And we just broke out into a spontaneous time of praising God and worshiping Him. I think we've even got a photo that's probably going to pop up on the screen now that you can see of us worshiping. And it was just a raw, spontaneous outburst, a raw, spontaneous expression and response to seeing the power of God at work. And here in Exodus 15, this is what the Israelites are doing. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, the Israelites are finally free. Free from slavery, free from oppression, free from forced labor. God has sent them Moses. And despite their hesitations, despite their unbelief, God has led them to freedom. And the culmination of this being the crossing of the Red Sea, as we heard last week. Despite the Egyptians pursuing them, God has completed their exodus. And we find ourselves here, the beginning of chapter 15, and they break out into song. And now you might think it's a little bit odd that the Israelites are choosing to sing at this point in time. I mean, out of all the things that they could have chosen to do after crossing the Red Sea, after escaping to freedom and safety, why do they choose to sing? And what I want to suggest is that praising God is perhaps the most fitting way, perhaps the most fitting response to experiencing his power and seeing his salvation firsthand. The theologian Philip Ryken, he puts it this way. He says, but salvation always demands a response, a response of praise that is most suitably expressed in song. Therefore, the song of Moses, the song of salvation, was not merely appropriate at this point in the Exodus, it was mandatory. Whenever God does something great, he deserves to be praised. And so church, I want to ask you this morning, how's your praise? Have you been able to find moments to praise God and to worship him for his greatness, even in the midst of this lockdown? 
You see, if God deserves to be praised whenever he does something great, then praise surely ought to never be absent from our lips, even in such a time as this. And not only that, but praise also reflects the state of our hearts. Um, There's this link between praise and gratitude. Um, This truth, I think we know both from our own experiences, but it's also reflected in God's word. Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 16, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God, listen to this, with gratitude in your hearts. That's Colossians 3, verse 16. You see, the truth is it's really difficult to uh, it's really difficult not to be grateful when you're praising God. I mean, think about it. Have, have you ever come across a really ungrateful praiser? Like when we used to meet back in person, you know, at the factory theater, have you ever come across someone who was there in their chair praising God, lifting their voice, maybe raising their arms? But through this, you know, clenched jaw with a big frown, just, you know, praising God, but really, oh, I hate this. God sucks. No, it's really hard not to be grateful when you're praising God. Praise and thanksgiving are linked. And gratitude, thanksgiving is also good for us. You know, I was talking to my friend uh, Josh Hall this week, a psychologist who explained that there's actually strong clinical evidence to suggest that practicing gratitude is helpful for improving or boosting overall mood. It's almost like God designed us to be a grateful people. So I want to ask you again this morning, how's your praise, church? Now, if you're anything like me, maybe you haven't found many reasons to praise God lately. I mean, let's just be honest. We're in another lockdown with no end seemingly in sight. Some of us are living alone, estranged from loved ones. There are struggles with mental health, the loss of loved ones. When is this all going to end? And I need you to understand something from the outset here. Praising God is not emotional fluff and and empty sentimentality. I'm not saying that what we should do is just sing to God with a smile and pretend that our difficulties and our hardships don't exist. No, they are real. But praising God is built on the foundation of who God is, his character, and his salvation, what he has done. And my hope and prayer is that as we look at this song, uh, what's titled the Song of Moses and Miriam in Exodus 15, as we see and understand the reasons that the Israelites had to praise God, we will find these same reasons ring true for us, even now even in the midst of our circumstances in this lockdown. So that's my goal for us, that through seeing the Israelites' experiences and and, and hearing their reasons for praising God, we would find our voice to praise him right now. So what were the Israelites praising God for? Well, the first thing they were praising God for was his salvation. Have a look there in verses 1 to 4. If you've got a Bible, open up Exodus 15. Read with me verses 1 to 4. It says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. 
The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he's hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. And so what's happening here is the Israelites, they begin their song praising God because he is their salvation and he is their deliverer. This is not some hypothetical salvation that they're talking about. The words in these first four verses are not metaphorical for some kind of symbolic event. But no, this is their actual lived experience. This is Israel's salvation history in the pages of Scripture. You see, horse and driver were hurled into the sea as the Egyptians pursued them. God was their strength and defense as he made a way for them to cross safely through the Red Sea and protected them from the Egyptians who were pursuing them. They did see the fierce warrior-like attributes of the Lord on display as he demonstrated his might in defeating the formidable forces of the Egyptian empire. The Israelites are singing of a salvation that they have actually seen with their own eyes. It's like in Return of the King, the third Lord of the Rings movie. They've been added to Netflix sometime recently, and Katie and I were watching it. And there's this scene at the end of Return of the King where Frodo finally, he throws the ring into the fires of Mount Doom, destroying evil once and for all. And you see Sauron's tower crumble and come crashing down. And then there's this shot of Aragorn and Merry and Gimli watching from the battlefield outside the walls of Mordor. And Merry holds up his sword, and as this triumphant music plays in the background, he cries out, Frodo! Frodo! It's this iconic scene as Frodo's friends, the Fellowship of the Ring, they're witnessing their salvation. They're seeing it happen before their very eyes as evil is defeated and destroyed. So I want to ask you this morning, church, what has God saved you from? What evil has the Lord delivered you from? As you think back on your life and the trials and the challenges and the suffering and the hardships that you've been through, how has God delivered you? How is he perhaps still delivering you? from sin and your own vices and addictions? How is he enabling you to endure and persevere right now through whatever it is that you're facing in your life? How has God been your strength and your defense? How has he fought for you? How has he protected you? How can you praise God for his salvation right now in the midst of your circumstances? You know, when I look back on my life, he is what I know to be true. God saved me from myself. If not for the grace of God shown to me through Jesus, I would be living a life far from him, consumed with my own desires, drowning in my own selfishness and lust. God delivered me from sin and death. God gave me an alternate path from addiction. God restored relationships in my family. God has given me everything. How has God been your salvation? How has God been your deliverer? What can you testify that he has done in your life? You know, I don't know your story. I don't know what you've been through. But what I do know is that if you're watching this 
this morning, this afternoon, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have experienced the salvation of God through his son. Philip Reichen, again, he says this, the whole church is called to offer the same kind of praise to God in the name of Jesus Christ. We have seen his salvation in our reading of the gospels. By faith, we have stood with the women at the cross, watching Jesus suffer and die for our sins. By faith, we have looked over the shoulders of the apostles into the empty tomb where Jesus rose again. Jesus has saved us from sin and death, and now every man, woman, and child in the church is called to join the choir and take up the song, the song of salvation. Praise God for his salvation. And so the Israelites were praising God for his salvation. And they were also, secondly, if you're taking notes, they were also praising him for his justice. Let's read verses 7 to 11 together. It says, In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed. In the heart of the sea, the enemy boasted, I will pursue them. I will overtake them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You see, the Israelites here are praising God for his justice and wrath about how he threw down the Egyptians and unleashed his anger upon them. Now, if you've been paying attention, if you looked at some of the the imagery in those verses, if we're being honest, this imagery, these verses, they, they confront our modern sensitivities. I mean, it's pretty brutal, isn't it, to think about the reality of the Egyptians being crushed and drowned as the waves of the sea washed over them. And not only that, but the song says it was God's doing. It was God who commanded Moses to stretch out his hand so that the waters would flow back over the Egyptian forces after the Israelites got to safety. So what are we to do with this? Is it right for us to praise God for his justice and for his wrath? Well, I would say absolutely it is right. But first, we need to do a little bit of contextual work. Firstly, we need to be aware of our cultural biases and blind spots. The reality is this. The Israelites' experience of life is completely different to our experience of life. The Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright, he explains it this way. He says, first, we must remember the context of the story told in the earlier chapters. Those chariots and their drivers were the raw and tangible iron fist of an imperial regime that had implacably oppressed these Israelite singers with slavery, forced labor, and a state-sponsored genocidal campaign. Until that night, the Israelites had no hope of any other fate, not even the one promised by Moses and God himself, a destiny they could not bring themselves to believe in. 
These are some of the things that the Israelites endured. Slavery, forced labor, and a state-sponsored genocidal campaign. Now, I would assume that the majority of us have not experienced atrocities like this. In fact, most of us have probably grown up in non-violent environments. Hopefully, the majority of, majority of us in non-violent homes, and certainly most of us in non-violent societies. I mean, we haven't experienced warfare or forced slavery on our home soil or to our ethnic people. You know, I remember being taught in school as I was growing up to never retaliate with violence. I mean, this is a little snapshot into the kind of environment that I've experienced and grown up in. You know, I was told, James, use your words. You know, walk away from fights. Violence is never the answer. And so I don't know firsthand what it's like to be born into slavery or to fear for my life as armed assailants pursue me. And I hope that you don't know what that's like and that you never will. And so before we perhaps turn up our noses or lift our fingers to dismiss the violence of this passage, we must first do the harder work of understanding the contextual and experiential chasm between the Israelites and us. It was simply a different time and we are a different people. And so the Israelites were right to praise God for his justice and wrath. Because it's only by his justice and wrath that they were delivered from evil. You know, I even wonder perhaps if we had friends or people that we know who come from war-torn countries who have experienced these kinds of things firsthand, would they read and approach these verses differently to us in our modern Western context? But the fact is this, a God who is content to leave evil and injustice in the world would not have defeated the Egyptians. A God who is content to leave evil and injustice in the world, who knows if such a God would even have cared about the Israelites, would even have heard the Israelites, would even have worried about freeing, seeking to free the Israelites from their oppression. If we are to be a people who desire to see the light of God overcoming injustice and evil in our world, then we cannot be a people who are embarrassed or ashamed of God's justice and wrath. Now, don't get me wrong. We have to do that same hard contextual work to understand what that justice and wrath looks like for us as New Testament believers. We're not the Israelites. And praising God for his justice in our time isn't going to look like praising him for defeating our military enemies. And so how do we we praise God for his justice and wrath today? In our time as New Testament and New Covenant believers, you know, we could spend a whole lecture, a whole, a whole Bible college subject delving into this, but I want to give us three aspects of God's justice that we can praise Him for today. Firstly, we can praise God that His perfect justice was displayed on the cross as He punished Jesus for our sins so that we might be saved. Secondly, we can praise God that he is actively at work through his people, exposing the darkness of injustice in our world. And thirdly, we can praise God for his justice because he is bringing about a future time when all evil and all injustice will be defeated, eradicated, and done away with once and for all. 
So the Israelites praised God for his salvation. They praised God for his justice. And finally, they praised him for his faithfulness. Read with me in verses 13 to 17. It says, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. And you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. Now there's a long list of nations and details of of warfare and conquest listed here. So let me summarize this for us. The first 12 verses of this song have recounted what God has already done in becoming the Israelites' salvation and delivering them and giving them victory over the Egyptians. And now verse 13 onwards to the end of the song speaks of the future, of what is to come. In other words, these verses are prophetic. Like Dr. Strange looking into the future in Infinity War and seeing the Avengers' ultimate victory over Thanos, Moses is looking to the future when God will lead his people to the promised land. And so all these references to the nations hearing and trembling and being terrified are references to the nations that Israel must overcome on the way to entering the promised land. And so the people are effectively praising God for something that hasn't yet happened. It hasn't been realized. It's coming in the future. They haven't experienced it, and yet they praise him. Why? Because the God they follow, Yahweh, the God we follow, is a faithful God. He's a God who keeps his promises. When he says something will come to pass, that he will bring it to pass, he will. And he does. See, all of these things that the Israelites look forward to prophetically in this song actually come to pass as we we read later in the scriptures, in the books following on after Exodus. And so in verse 13, the term unfailing love specifically is a reference to God as a covenant keeper, a promise fulfiller, one who is faithful to his people and to his promises. You know, in our day and age, in our society, there's a lot of reasons not to trust people's word these days. But when God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. It's who he is. It's in his unchanging nature. You know, when we talk about God's promises, we're not talking about wishful thinking, pinky promises, or, you know, flipping a coin into a fountain, hoping that something might happen or come true. It's not like us trying to figure out, hey, when's this lockdown going to end? Is it in two weeks? Is it in four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks? Who knows? No, we're talking about a sure thing. I mean, think about your life. What's the surest thing that you depend upon in your life? What do you trust is going to happen? Maybe you trust that when you go to to your local cafe every day, your barista is going to make you an epic coffee. 
And so you don't go anywhere else because you trust that your barista is going to come through. Maybe you trust your hairdresser that your barber is going to give you a sick fade or your hairdresser is going to get your hair just right. And so you always go to him or her. Or maybe if those examples are a bit novel, maybe you trust that every day the sun is going to rise and it's going to set. Maybe you trust that every day when you finish work, you're going to log off your computer and your loving spouse is going to be there waiting for you. As sure as those things are, God's promises are even surer. God's promises are guaranteed. And so it's staggering that the Israelites are praising God for these events. I mean, they haven't taken place yet. They won't enter the promised land for another 40 plus years, yet they have such confidence in God's faithfulness that they sing these praises. And this morning, church, I want to put to us that the Israelites praised God for his faithfulness, and so can we. Now, I know that lockdown isn't easy. I know that there's plenty of reasons to feel down and discouraged in this time. But you know, God, he never promised us lives that were free of difficulty or trial. In fact, Jesus himself said to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so our praising God for his faithfulness is not built on the foundation of a trouble-free, COVID-free, lockdown-free life, but on the fact that Jesus has overcome the world. That in his death and resurrection, Jesus has made a way for sinners to be forgiven, for darkness to be overcome, and for death to be destroyed. And we, like the Israelites, can praise God for his faithfulness as we journey through life towards our promised land, eternal life, everlasting life with God in heaven. As God's people, we can praise him for his faithfulness even in these circumstances because we know that our ultimate freedom and our ultimate salvation and joy and prosperity is not found on the other end of a lockdown or a COVID-free world, but in our eternal home waiting for us with God. As Jesus said, he's gone to prepare a room, a place for us. And so if you're a Christian today, listening, watching this, I want to remind you that God will make good on all of his promises. I want to remind you, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage myself to have a heavenly perspective. This world is not all there is. What we see is not our ultimate reality. There's a lot of things in life that are uncertain. There's a lot of things in life, you know, that have the illusion of certainty, but are quickly exposed in times like these to be sinking, shifting sand. But what is certain is the faithfulness of God. We know how this story ends. Jesus wins. Jesus comes back. We are raised to life in glorified bodies and we are with him forever. And if you're not a Christian here today, I want to invite you in a time of unprecedented uncertainty, at least in the Western world, to put your trust in the God of unfailing love and faithfulness. I want to invite you to put your hope for life, not in changing circumstances, objects, 
or people, but in an unchanging God who has demonstrated his unchanging love for you by sending his son to die on the cross for your sins. Put your hope and trust in this God and watch him make good on his promises. So as I close, I want to ask you again, how's your praise, church? How's your praise in this time? And I want to exhort you, I want to encourage you not to let your circumstances determine your praise, but rather who God is, what he's done, what he's currently doing, and what he said he will do. I want to encourage you this week to sing praises and worship God in lockdown in every opportunity that you get, physically with your voice, not just worshiping him in your mind or in your heart, but with your voice as the Israelites did on this day as they sung. Whether you're good at singing or not, I mean, God doesn't care what your voice sounds like. Singing praises isn't reserved for those musical people among us or the worship team. So praise him this week, church. Praise him during Sunday services, when you're in the shower, when you're driving to the grocery store. Praise him when you're cleaning up after your kids, when you're making a cup of tea, when you're going on your essential exercise walk through the park or through your neighborhood. Praise him when you're struggling with your spiritual disciplines and when you feel distant from him. Put on a worship song and sing to God with gratitude in your heart. Praise him when you're alone by yourself in the quiet moments. Praise him when you're with your spouse or your partner. Praise him as a family. Praise him for his salvation. Praise him for his justice. Praise him for his faithfulness. Imagine how different of an experience lockdown would be for us, church, if every day we made a deliberate decision to praise God. It doesn't take away the hardship of this time. No, it, it doesn't make it suddenly easy. But imagine how different it would be. Imagine how that would shape us. Imagine how that would change us. Imagine how that would impact our attitudes, how that would affect our overall mood and mental health. How would we come out of this differently? How would we persevere through this differently? How's your praise, church? How's your praise? Let me pray. Our Father God, I, I pray for us this morning. I pray for myself, Lord. This is a difficult time. This is a challenging time, Lord. And, and we don't want to gloss over that. We, we don't want to gloss over the hardships and the trials and the difficulties, Lord. But we want to be a people who praise you for who you are, for, for what you've done, who remember ultimately where our hope is what it is that anchors our soul and where we find true joy and freedom and hope. And so God, this week, I want to pray for everyone listening, for my brothers and sisters, for everyone tuning in, that you would help us, God, strengthen us to praise you, to look beyond the immediate circumstances that we find ourselves in, to lift our gaze heaven, heavenward, God, to praise you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your salvation, for your justice, for who you are, Lord. And as we do that, would you meet us in the midst of that, Lord? Would you comfort us? Would you encourage us? Would you empower us? Would you lift our spirits? Would you remind us of the truth, God, and fill us with joy once again? All these things we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.